Welcome to Creative Audio Production with your host, Pete Buckwald. At Creative Audio Production, we're seeking to create a community of audio engineers wanting to explore brave new frontiers, to boldly put a microphone where no microphone has gone before. And our creative results may vary, but we will not wallow in our failures, for our failures may prove to be the foundation for future sonic glory. All right, brace yourself and get ready for this episode of Well, welcome back to Creative Audio Production. Sorry we've been out of the picture for a little while. Life sometimes catches up to us. And once again, the, the, the guys that crank out the weekly podcasts, my, my hat continues to go off to you. I have no idea how you do that. But i uh, got some cool stuff here for you. Um, for the main segment of our program, it's actually going to be the historical audio production segment uh, a friend of mine, Park Peters, here in the Denver area, uh, submitted a, a segment for this, and he did such a, a great job that um, we're actually going to make the historical element kind of the the bulk of this. But uh, just I wanted to let you know a little bit what I've been up to lately in terms of production and increasing uh, the tools in my creative repertoire. And uh, if you go over to the Creative Audio Production website, you, you will see a tab off to the right. It says uh, something to the effect of learning uh, a challenge to learn Ableton Live in one week. And the history here is that uh, in the past, I've sat down determined to try to learn Ableton Live. And I think I got frustrated, you know, sitting down and expecting to learn um, how to use it uh, quickly, and it, it takes time for, for any new software, and so I decided this time when I set out to learn it to give myself a, a broader space of time, so I, I set aside about a half hour every day for about a week. I think I had to take a couple of days off in the middle there somewhere with some obligations, but um, at the end, you know, I was able to produce some audio in Ableton Live to do a creative project, and felt like I had a lot more grasp of what was there in Ableton Live. It, and though it's not a specific technique, like we hope to show you with this uh, podcast, just the, the resource of Ableton Live, it, it can do things that I don't know if there, there, if any other DAWs can, can do some of the things that are inside Ableton Live. It's uh, super flexible for live performance. Um, since it's able to save your project in scenes. Um, as a songwriter, if, if you're not sure of your song form, it's an amazing tool for that, that it, you don't have to do a whole lot of cutting and pasting and repasting together your project if you're if you're trying to settle on a song form. Ableton Live can do that on the fly. It can mix up your song form into a totally different way um, easily. So there's a ton of other features, and I won't go into all of them, but uh, if you've never checked out Ableton Live, make sure to, to check it out. Um, I, I put up video blogs for every day and <clears throat> kind of posted how I was going about learning it. And uh, if you want to take up that challenge of learning Ableton Live, there's some specific pointers on, on how I'd encourage you to go about that. But I feel like I have another resource in my creative uh, quiver now to go to, and uh, I'll, I anticipate using it. And if you are an Ableton user, by the way, 
uh, please feel free to contact me and, and, and post comments about how Ableton Live comes into play with your workflow and what you specifically appreciate about Ableton Live as opposed to other DAWs. So with that, I think we are off to our historical moment here with my friend Park Peters. And now, it's time for... Historical Instances of Recording Studio Weirdness, where we hear of alleged moments of famous and not-so-famous engineers doing odd things in the studio. Hello to all lovers of the podcast. My name is Park Peters from Audio Park Recording. Pete had asked me to put a little presentation together about a historic or maybe uh, interesting technique used in the process of recording. So for my little subject material today, I picked the use or lack thereof of headphones. A bit of historical background, certainly as recordings were started to be made in the late 1890s through the late 1920s, all recording was done all acoustically. There was no electrical equipment involved other than perhaps the motor to power the uh, cutting lathe. And in most cases, there wasn't even a motor to power that. It was done by uh, weights, much like a grandfather clock. Towards the end of the 1920s, the technology became available to allow electronics to replace an acoustic driver to record the sound. And as we moved into the 1940s, the technology improved to be able to have multiple microphones for the process of recording with some sort of a mixer to control their levels. But the use of headphones in the recording studio really didn't come about until the 1960s. Uh, the first recorded examples of use of headphones that I can find from listening to outtakes goes back to uh, Beach Boys sessions in 1964. Uh, it's possible that there were a few people using them before that, but it was not common. In Europe, the use of headphones happened a lot later, and I would submit that in American recordings it happened a lot later in some studios as well. Two examples come to mind. Uh, there is a film clip that is around of the Rolling Stones working on Sympathy for the Devil in 1968. Uh, none of them are using headphones. Uh, and certainly by examining the tracks from some of the Stax sessions as late as 1968, they were not using headphones. They were using a speaker uh, to provide monitoring for overdubs. The Beatles only began using headphones in the Revolver Sessions, which was 1966. But they even continued sometimes to use speakers for monitoring. Witness Dear Prudence. As the guitars come up on the right channel, if you just solo the left channel and listen to it, you discover that the volume at some point is turned up on the vocal channel, and voila, they're monitoring with a speaker. And that was in the summer of 1968. So. Uh, headphones were certainly not always used even then. And uh, over the years, one of the things that I've discovered is vocalists, especially vocalists who are not trained in the use of working with headphones, sound very bad in, in headphones sometimes. Uh, violin players who are not trained in working in headphones generally have trouble with tuning. Uh, so the solution, it's helpful to be able to record without headphones. To that end, you've got to set up a speaker. Now, the placement of the speaker can be critical, and there are some techniques for that as well to uh, talk about. Certainly, uh, using uh, a figure eight microphone can be helpful, where the speaker can be placed 
essentially in the dead spot of the figure eight microphone to minimize its pickup. But a technique that I prefer, especially if I'm doing overdubs and using the same group of people twice, say a group of vocalists or a group of string players, is to basically electrically invert the incoming signal of, uh, of one of the channels as I record it. Uh, so I'll do two passes at a track and I will record one of those channels electrically inverted. Some people would call that out of phase. Uh, and technically it is 180 degrees out of phase, but phase relationships can denote something different than inverting electrically the polarization. The principle behind electrically inverting the polarization is that when you add the numbers back together, you theoretically get zero. In practical terms, this doesn't always work out exactly that way when you put microphones in a room with bodies and people and instruments that might move slightly zero suddenly doesn't become zero but it can be close enough that you can certainly get the idea of uh, of the concept so I've created a case in point here to demonstrate this since I'm not doing this with video I must describe my surroundings a little bit I'm sitting at an Atari concept mixing console with 96 inputs and I have several of them with varying tracks on them. I'm working on a song for an upcoming CD of all Beatles material, and so I've chosen to use Here, There, and Everywhere since I have not done an official vocal track on this, and this certainly is not an official vocal track either because I've got a little bit of a cold, so apologies in advance, but here we go. What I did was I just turned the studio monitors in in my studio, and these monitors are not quite ideal for this because they are below the level of the microphone. It works better if the monitors are actually above the level of the microphone because just my physical body between the microphone and the monitor will affect how this works. If the monitor is above the microphone, there's less of my physical body that can be in the way and the process actually will work better than this demonstration. But I was lazy. I didn't want to move my studio monitors around just for this. Nevertheless, I think you'll see how well this works. So the first thing I'm going to do is play just the vocal track that I laid down. And you can hear how much of the speakers are in this microphone here. To lead a better life, I need my love to be here. All right. So you can hear that there's a Fender Rhodes electric piano and a couple of Moog synthesizer tracks that are bleeding through quite nicely on that microphone. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to introduce a channel which is a phase inverted or a uh, electrically inverted image of that same microphone in the same place in the room with the same mix going to the speakers. And as I turn this up you will notice that the, uh, that the instruments drop in volume. Here we go. Running my hands through her hair. It doesn't completely go away, but it does minimize itself Both quite a bit. Thinking how good it can be. I can fine-tune it a little bit. Speaking, but she now, you, you might still say, well, there's still some stuff there, but let me show you how much it's taking out by just muting that channel. Here we go. Out. And if she's beside me, Back I know in. I need never care. Back out. But to love her, 
is to need her Him? everywhere. So it's taking quite a bit of it away. So this technique can work especially effectively if the tracks that you're monitoring are going to be in your end product, be in your end mix. And in this case, all of these tracks will be in the end mix. So if I play the whole thing in context now, we get this and I can do a couple of bits of demonstration here as to how effective this would be. There's a Fender Rhodes. Lead a better life. I need my love to be here. There's some little Moog tracks. I'm going to play that same piece and I'm going to mute those Moog tracks. There will be a little bit of bleed from the speaker, but it should be quite minimized here. A better life. I need my love to be here. Basically gone. Uh, Making each day of the year. So if you've got someone who just can't sing or a string player who just can't play in tune with headphones, uh, certainly one trick would be to just let them monitor over a speaker. I used full range studio monitors which are actually PA speakers for this little experiment because it's what I have set up in the room. If I was doing this for real, if possible, I would use a smaller speaker that might not have as much low end frequencies in it because those are the hardest to disperse and the hardest to get rid of in a mix. And again, I would put it above the level of the microphone if possible, even if it's only six or eight inches above the level of the microphone. That way all the mass of your body in the space won't interfere with that phase relationship. And it's especially useful if you're doing, let's assume that you're laying down two violin parts, uh, or as I've done in a few cases, laid down two groups of kids singing. Kids are the worst in headphones. Kids generally don't do well in headphones because they're not used to it. They sound funny. It wastes a lot of time. It's better just to get them in a group, in a semicircle or whatever, around a group of microphones and, and record them. And at that point, you're using a speaker. Uh, the technique works extremely well for things like that. It can save a lot of recording time. So hopefully you found this little uh, exercise in speaker usage helpful. And this is Park Peters from Audio Park Recording, signing off. Great. Well, thanks so much, Park. I, I That is just super fascinating. And I think I've heard stories of bands like the Rolling Stones and Aerosmith, you know, bands that are touring a lot and playing live a lot and get a lot of their energy from making some loud noise on stage. I've heard of them doing similar things. I want to say that they did it by phase canceling or, or phase reversing one monitor and having it phase cancel acoustically at the microphone. But, but uh, maybe I misunderstood and, and they did... Uh, what you did, and that's how they engineered it. But it's a great thing to keep in mind, for especially for people who are used to live performance and those other instances you mentioned. Thanks so much, Park, and we hope to have you back with another historical moment in the near future. This comment on the website is from Chris Kimmel. Chris writes in regards to episode two.
Uh, Chris says, episode two had some super awesome and interesting info. Exclamation point. I love the gun recording techniques. Really creative. Also, it's insane that Hendrix played a song from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club's band a day after the album's release. Uh, see, the, the double reverse synth sounds sounds like it would be sweet in a th- thriller or horror, horror film. Cool, cool podcast, Pete. Thanks for those comments, uh, Chris. And yeah, with those gun recordings, I really hope we get a chance to listen to those. I'm particularly curious what the uh, the ambient mics or the, the, the flyby microphones that Chris described would sound like if you hard pan them left and right. You know, do you, Would you really hear a bullet go uh, from left to right since it's going so fast? But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can take a listen to those. And thanks for listening. If you want to contact us, feel free to leave a a comment at creative-audio-production.com. And we'll get back to you. And that's all we got for the show this time, guys. We will see you next time.